just I just had the thought to send a text to someone to either confirm or coordinate with that person regarding their you know plans for the weekend because it's our son's birthday and then just as I like pulled out my phone it was like a little voice in the back of my head was like get the good message out first and so that's when I just stopped I put that on pause and then I picked up my phone I'm like turn your attention to the positive like the positive um, messages coming out of recent interactions and so I am going to try to articulate that so I had breakfast with my sands which for a lot of people is the same as lion sisters but where I pledged we say sands and that is a really meaningful distinction <laughs> for those of us who cross the sands especially those of us who cross the sands together so I say sands and I don't I know all of my other sands would also say sands but I do know that some other chapters um, refer to um, themselves as line sisters. So I want to acknowledge that I'm using the term sans and line sisters synonymously in this case. So interestingly enough, I ran into, I'm not going to say any names because I want to protect people's personal information and privacy. So I'm not going to say any names. And I will leave it to that person as to whether or not they want to reveal themselves or, you know, I, I, but for now, that's why I'm not saying any names. So, you know, we had made, okay, let me back up. So interestingly enough, we ran each into each other at school. My daughter had to change schools from her, the school she attended last year to a brand new school. And remarkably, we actually made the decision to enroll her at the school she's at now at the very last minute. And I mean last minute. Like, we were really stuck, honestly, in, 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 in wanting in, uh, to find another independent school for her because she's been in independent schools for several years. And, you know, admittedly, we got kind of stuck on trying to find another independent school. You know, it's like she's basically like she's been accustomed to small schools, small settings. And, you know, she was concerned about making friends and, you know, having a social life and things like that. So we kind of got stuck on finding an option that would allow her to have like a easier transition socially. And so we, we ended up not, we, we ended up enrolling in the school she's at at the last minute. Well, actually I want to say thir Thursday is when I went alone as a parent just to check it out. And I was just like, OMG. <laughs> From the moment I walked in the school, I was like, wow like what was what was i waiting on like what why was i what was my reservation what was my hesitation like why like this is fantastic and i went home just like raving about the school like oh my god this school is amazing <laughs> you know and just wondering like what was i thinking how could i have been like sleeping on this school but anyway so that was thursday and then i went back on that friday to actually enroll my daughter, you know? And so 
um, anyway, so back to school night was, you know, traditional back to school night was last Thursday. And okay, so I said, this is the reason I said that I know why now the reason I said that is because I for the for the whole summer up until the moment I enrolled her, I had kind of disqualified that school as an option, to be honest, you know, just sort of based upon you know, Google searches and reading, you know, some of the reviews and things like that. I had pretty much ruled it out. I did. And to a large degree, my daughter had as well, you know. And so it was really a last minute decision based upon really like no other option, no other like realistic and viable options. And I thought I kind of enrolled her there kind of like, you know, anyway. So the point is that I don't want this to drive on too long. It's like the point is that it's a new school and back to school night was last Thursday. And in the midst of like, you know how quick it is between as you're going through back to school night, shuffling from one classroom to another. It's like a really brief period of time and you're, you don't know where the classrooms are. So everybody's kind of like, you're not really, you're, you're kind of like brushing past each other, just really focused on getting to your next classroom and try to figure out where it is. So in the midst of all of that, I see, you know, this, um, you know, do I want to say identifiers? Okay, I am. I think it, this is the only way it's going to make sense if I use some identifiers. You know, another, you know, um, black man, you know, a face that I recognize. It was a black person, which, you know, when you're kind of in a predominantly white setting, I think, you know, black and brown people have a tendency to notice each other, you know. And so I noticed him and I knew the face was familiar, but... I didn't immediately make the connection in that moment. You know how you see a face, you know it's a familiar face, but you're seeing it out of context. And I haven't seen him in literally like years. So it didn't immediately register. It registered that it was a familiar face, but, you know, it, I couldn't in that moment like figure out, like we're talking about like a literal split second, not, not five minutes, not even a minute. We're talking about like seconds. In the moment, like I acknowledged him, I hear my sand say my name, you know, loud. And she said it loud. And I love that. <laughs> I loved that. Like I heard it. You know what I mean? Like I, I would have heard that. Vo- I would have heard her voice like from the edges of the hall. It was like that. It was just as just as loud and hearable as her just giving me a big ooh, you know, just screaming it out, like and not caring. So I loved that. And so immediately, you know, she said my name, I said her name, we embraced and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And it was just so amazing to have run into her like that, you know, just again, shuffling through classes. So it was just like, I mean, like a split second, we would, we could have missed each other, you know, but we didn't, we, we connected and then today, um, earlier this morning, we, um, um, well, you know, after we, we, ex- we exchanged information that night, and then, you know, we texted after and we made um, arrangements to have um, coffee together this morning. Okay, so we did. And we talked about, I mean, so, such a great conversation. And we touched upon so many, like, great really important topics, which I won't repeat here because I don't want to reach anyone's confidence, you know, but the part that I, the, the takeaway that I wanted to, um, to bring from that is the fact that interestingly enough, like we talked about 
some of the issues that I um, that we encounter because we're in a similar space. I would say they're like ancillary. They're like kind of like next to each other in terms of like, you know, the different um, divisions, um, departments, functions, subject matter within a corporation. They're close because she does compliance and I did compliance for a long time. Um, and so there's a there's there's a way that compliance people think that's, you know, I, I it's, it's like. And she said the word, which I knew. I'm like, okay, so we're in a similar area. Like, um, uh, she used the word predictive judgment, predictive measurement. And I'm like, yep, that's what compliance is. I mean, in order to advise your client, corporation, firm, um, regardless of size, on, on compliance, I mean, a part of that is predicting. You're, you're trying to predict. You know, You know what the current rules and regulations are. And I can advise you on how to comply with those, but you also have to be mindful of potential risk as well, because you could have a situation where there's a rule or regulation that's totally unreasonable and the risks are so low, like strict compliance would not be a prudent business decision. You know, it's like if it's so costly to comply and the risk of non-compliance are so low, a client may make a business decision to be a little, you know, let's monitor that one. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we need to implement it right now, but let's let's keep looking at it. You know, so there's all sorts of decisions that need to be made at the compliance level. Much of that is predictive. It's like risk assessment, risk assessment. I don't know. Let's see. You might have another case where something is like, no, 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 you got to do this. And not only do you have to do this, you have to like dot your eyes and literally cross your T's. Like this one, you have to have strict compliance. And here's what could happen if you don't comply. You know, you have to be prepared to advise your client on all of that. And so I would say that, you know, they, they work together, compliance, risk assessment. And I would say that we also work on similar issues. Um, I think we, we work in different segments, but we, we still work on similar, um, you know, it was great to have a discussion with someone who had what I recall. I mean, it's like, you know, similar, similar roles, I guess. And I think we, we I don't, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about what we talked about. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to keep private, private. But the one I will, I will, the part that I will bring out of that is the fact that, you know, it kind of created this, I thought, reasonable pathway, you know, that I could begin to talk about some of this stuff in a way that is, um, I don't want to say reasonable, balanced, you know, it's like, because on the one hand, obviously, I need to maintain my ability to work and to get other jobs and projects and all of that because a lot of this I'm just going to broadly say data analytics let's just say data analytics and the it's almost like every function now relies upon data the part that's variable is the analytics it's like well the analytics is dependent upon what you are analyzing <laughs> you like what's your specific subject matter your area of expertise whatever the case is so the analytics you see are going to look different from the analytics another person sees. It's different. And technology has developed at varying degrees. So what you, you know, there are some 
firms that um, have implemented extremely advanced analytics, extremely advanced. So if you would consider, let's say, look at it on a spectrum, let's say on one hand, you have like an Excel spreadsheet, like the super duper fancy, you know, financial model that you created on a on an Excel spreadsheet. Okay, so that's you, you can you can make some assumptions from that, right? You can write some rules in your Excel spreadsheet and make some assumptions, draw some conclusions, right? So that's that's right now the fanciest of fanciest Excel spreadsheet is nothing in comparison to the analytics available through all this data visualization software that's available you know it's like this this like new breed of software can take like i mean gargantuan amounts of data and crush it and do all what they do and out pops like i mean things it's like you can actually see the data like it's not just on a piece of paper. You can see the data move. It's like a thing. It's like a person. It's like a, you know, so the analytics coupled with the technology for some people working in these firms and corporation analytics means like, I mean, working with like little avatars, you know, and I feel like that's part of like the big, huge variation right now within, let, let me just say corporate, I, I'm just going to speak to corporate America because that's what I'm most familiar with. But that's you have the full spectrum of that within corporate America right now, where some firms are still, their analytics are still Excel spreadsheets, financial models and things of that nature. There's other firms who have like the most advanced, cutting edge technology available for data analytics. And right now the most cutting edge um, software is called, and it's, it's, they're called, it's called a hybrid. It's called a hybrid platform. And it is literally a human um, AI hybrid, which should not sound like mysterious or scary. Just think about it this way. Right now, the most advanced software is one person. One person who has, has created, let's say, some software or a process or a something. They, they've kind of um, had a great idea and they were able to distill it down to something that you can see, right? whether it's like a, an interface or, or a piece of software or something, a visual that you can see a, a report on a, a monitor, a display, you can see it. And so in addition to having a great idea and access to great data, this person also knows how to, let's say, quote unquote, code. They know how to code and they also know how to program so that they can they you can get they can take all this data and then they can show it to you look what can i look at what your data can do <laughs> like they're like the magician like you give me all this information i'll run it through my ai and then i'll show you the result right and so the results that they're able to show are extremely advanced they're they're extremely advanced and I think most people would think that the quote unquote outputs uh, would look indistinguishable to you. 
from humans. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference in terms of where the technology is headed. It's not available now, but that is certainly where it is headed. And so I think the whole issue, I think, right now is there's testing already going on in terms of these human AI, like these hybrid human AI platforms, you know, because, you know, obviously the data, what do you call it? The data brokers, they want to run as much data as possible through this hybrid machine. You know, but the issue is that they don't really yet know what the limits are, like mentally, psychologically, physically. They don't really know um, the physical limits on the human half of that hybrid platform. You know, they do know if it's pure AI, let's say, or if it's a pure machine, there's kind of no limit, right? But if it's a human AI hybrid, obviously it's a human person. There has to be a limit they just don't know what that limit is. So they're just testing people in really ways that are just, I mean, in a sense, very consistent with some of the image, imagery you've seen on, the, on, on TV and in movies in terms of you know, their capabilities and the type of testing that already is happening, you know, which are all super duper top secret but I think that, you know, if you are a person who has seen, you know, worked in this area and seen what's going on, you know, you, you feel, I don't know. I mean, the best way, I mean, honestly, the, I'm just going to use the word that came up earlier because it's like you start to feel dirty. You start to feel like aiding and abetting something not right, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, a lot of these so-called leaks come from like consultants or, you know, quote unquote, low level employees or something like that, because it kind of gives these corporations cover. Because see, when these big, big, big leaks happen, they always say, oh, you know, they always try to diminish the person's role. They'll say, oh, they were a contract employee, they were a temporary employee, they were a subcontractor, you know, they were a vendor, they were this, they were that. But that gives them coverage because the reality is that in the vast majority of circumstances I've been in, I mean, overwhelmingly, the consultants know way, 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 way more, way more than the attorneys and other, you know, professionals on staff at the data banks, way more. And so what happens is that if you, as a consultant, with all this knowledge and all this experience, like you've seen this implementation, this, let's say privacy implementation, you've seen it a number of different times in a number of different settings across industries and all of that, obviously you're gonna know way more. Not only do you know more, you know when mistakes are being made because you've, you've already, you've been there and you've done that. Here's the issue. Because the attorneys on staff at the, at the corporations or the data banks or the firms, in many cases, you know, the legal department has this sort of like favor position within a lot of different companies, firms, you know, across a, a corporate America. 
So as you can imagine, there is oftentimes friction between the, let's say, in-house staff attorneys and the outside um, consultants who happen to be attorneys because, you know, although a consultant, if you're also an attorney, you also know what you're talking about and you know when they don't, basically. You know that what they're saying is just garbage and they don't want they don't want their hand exposed. So what typically will happen is that though, if you're too smart, the in-house legal staff will get rid of you in a heartbeat. Seriously, they'll get rid of you. And they have the authority to do it because, oh, well, they're legal, right? They, everybody in the corporation presumes they know everything. And they have final authority to sign off on stuff. So yet, guess what? If you're too smart as a consultant or a subcontractor, you go into one of these larger for- firms they're, they're, they're going to give you the ax. <laughs> There's a funny story behind that, which I won't tell now, but there is. So I think, I think, so what they hold over your head is that you, you have to go through background checks and clearances to get on these projects. You know, when you get close to like the data protection and information securities, I, I don't say cybersecurity, but a lot of people say cybersecurity. I just say information security. But when you get and you start doing that work, I mean, there is like checks in, uh, involved. And what can happen is that you can get so you can feel like you're getting so close to the action that getting picked, let's say, for the next big project kind of like is it's like you're, you're just like man, you know, it's almost like you get to a point where you almost feel like they want you. Okay, let me back up a little bit. They want you to feel like you will do anything to stay on the project. That's what they want. They want you to feel like, oh, man, they I'm so close to the action. I'm so close to the action. I just have to do what they say and then they'll pick me. And what you realize is that it's, it's almost like what I had to realize. And I, I made a tape about it. Like, it's like they are never going to let you in. <laughs> They're just not going to let you in. They're not going to let you in. And it's almost like that got me over my fascination with, like, being successful through the eyes of corporate America, you know, it's like they're never going to they're never going to see your worth they're never going to see your value. So just let it go. Like, just let it go. And I feel like on the one hand, somebody might say, oh, that's negative talk. That's negative talk. And I'm like, you know what? No, it isn't. Not when you've reached a limit, when you've reached a limit and you realize that in order to take the next step, you need to shut the previous one. You need to shut that door. That's what I'm talking about. Because I had been through that cycle over and over that pick me, pick me, because you keep thinking like, oh, man, now that I know this much, in order to get to the next project, I got to keep my mouth shut. But then you realize that you're you're giving up so much control that way, because then they're able to control you by either, you know, Uh, you get on a project or not and then it's like they realize and then you'll get more and more and more desperate that's a part of actually I won't even go there let's just leave it there you know I realized that and I felt like that's when I started developing (laughs) this sort of like what I refer to as like an alter ego avatar 
you know, because I'm like, I have to be able to talk about this stuff because there certain of the projects I was involved in. I'm thinking I knowing where this is going, where this project is headed. I'm like in for myself, I'm like, in order to make it right, I feel like I at least want to tell people what's going on. You know, it's like I feel like people need to know now what's happening. And I feel that it's I think I it's hard for me to understand why people are are resistant to discussions about the subject of AI. And I think part of it is that people, when you say AI, they think robots. And that's just to me fiction. I mean, that's the fiction part of the discussion. And that's and it's and it's a it's a distraction to me and a red herring, because I feel like well, under the current definition of AI, there's plenty of AI already walking around. Plenty, there's plenty of people who have a mind that can function on one hand as like a knowledge based processor, and on the other, a technical resource to be able to process and visualize that knowledge, AI. You know, it's like there's humans who can do that now. And and not only can they do it, they are um, in these hybrid platforms, which right now are just one person, <laughs> one human AI hybrid is the new software. That's the new software. And so that's why I don't even use the term software anymore. Software is like an outdated term. You know, because the process you would have considered software like years ago, like all of that has kind of like been folded into what is now known as like a human AI hybrid platform. Almost like a huge spaceship controlled by one person, controlled by the mind of one person. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's like a human who has figured out how to ingest and visualize a tremendous amount of data. And that human AI hybrid is in so demand, high demand throughout globally, globally. So there's already, and you know, people who have these types of hybrid platforms, I mean, part of the day they walk around like human beings and the other part of the day, it's almost like their mind is functioning as a router, essentially. Because in order for one person to operate an entire software operation, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of technical know-how embedded within that person's brain. And, you know, so these human AI hybrid platforms, they know how to visualize. They have built machines that allow data to be visualized. (laughs) You know, so I think... I think there's so many interesting issues to come out of this. And, you know, I was um, approached by a publisher, I won't say in what capacity, to talk about this stuff. I mean, to talk about it openly and forthrightly and honestly, because basically I am at the end of the road when it comes to working within corporate America on these issues. You know, it's like for me, it's like a line in the sand. It's either or 
And it's almost like I know it's like it feels like the safe thing to do is to just say, just give it another go, like take another gig. But I don't even know if from a mental health standpoint, I can even do that. I don't know. You know, and so I feel like I don't want to do that. Let's put it that way. I want to create another option for myself. You know, an option that does not rely upon the quote unquote system to save me. In fact, I want to liberate myself from it. And one thought has been, recent discussions have been, well, just talk about it. Like, you know, do what you feel like you're being led to do. And that's kind of where I am. And Okay, going back to my breakfast this morning. So interestingly enough, I was in Philly maybe about a month ago, a little less than a month ago. And while I was there, I had created like an avatar that I put up on LinkedIn. And, you know, I hadn't really done anything with it. You know, I set it up and I, I, it was my plan to use that as like my launch pad for this, you know, kind of like um, new perspective, this new vision of the life I want. And interesting enough, when I was with my sans today, we were talking about, I was explaining to her that, you know, a publisher is, you know, wanting me to write creatively. It would all be creatively in telling telling a story, almost like fiction. And she used the word alter ego too. And that for me, sometimes for me, I'm a person who believes in signs and synchronicities. And sometimes when you know, you, it's nice when you're thinking something and then someone says it and it feels like, ah, confirmed. And so that's where I am. Long way of saying, that's what I'm doing. I am trying to tell these, tell these, to, to, to kind of like provide insight as to what's going on now uh, by telling stories and fictionalize and telling them, um, fictionalizing some of the experiences I've had and some of the things I've seen so that this discussion doesn't feel, I don't know. I hope this discussion is illuminating. And, you know, I hope it causes people to think differently about where we are headed as a society, like from a technological standpoint and how I hope people see that there is an opportunity now to make changes that will be so important in the future. I mean, they will be so important in the future, but it's like the window to do something is small. I mean, it's like now, like we have to do something now to prevent catastrophes in the future, you know, from like a technological standpoint. Okay, thanks for listening. I think I'll leave it there. Thank you.